Hey everyone, and welcome to Unison Christian Church, the podcast. We exist to change our community with the life-changing truth of Jesus, elevate a culture of love and holistic growth, and serve as a family built on hope. Our desire is that today's message helps you discover fresh new ways of connecting with God. Now, here is today's message. All right, so... Y'all, I love you so very, very much. And I know I say this every time, but I always get so excited when I get to, to speak with you. It makes me so excited. And then I'm studying, and it just, everything is so exciting. Everything is engaging. And this week, we are, we're covering a lot of ground, y'all. We are covering seven chapters of Exodus today, chapter 24 through 31. We are, we are just plowing through. And so with that, and knowing that there's so much in that section that we could talk about. I had to do a process of omitting some things, and so um, pray for me on that. I would love to geek out on all of the things, and so anybody who wants to dive in later and dive in further to this passage, get, get with me through the week. I'll, I'll geek out with you. But, um, so we are going into um, week four of our Becoming Sermon series, and we titled this one, The World's First Mobile Sanctuary. And I kind of want to subtitle it a little bit, God With Us. I know that kind of has a Christmassy feel, but you'll see why. So there's a subtitle there. So Exodus chapters 24 through 21. And so we're going to take a minute previously on Becoming. I know, right? So we're going to back up and talk a little bit about what um, Ben did last week. Um, he did so, so, so well. Um, breaking down um, all of the details of not just, you know, he gave the Ten Commandments, but there was also a lot of these ordinances, these if-then situations, right? And so Ben did a fabulous job of walking us through those last week. Thank you so much, Ben. Um, And so what happens now, where are we now? So Moses writes down everything that God instructed, with these if-then statements and all of these ordinances and the Book of the Covenant. And when he's done, he brings it back to the people and reads it to the people, and they all agree, right? There's this this unified body saying, yes, we agree. This is good. This is for our good. And so um, this is where we start off this week with this agreement. All right, so... Then Moses took the blood from the basins and splattered it over the people, declaring, Look, this blood confirms the covenant that the Lord has made with you in giving these instructions. Pause already. So, blood sprinkled was a cultural thing. So we think of it kind of like when you go to sign any sort of document, any sort of agreement. You, you know, you sign your, your marriage license, right? You sign your um, papers for your house, your mortgage papers, right? So this, in their culture, the sprinkling of blood was a symbolic agreement to the covenant. So you kind of see... Um, in this union agreement between Yahweh and the people, it kind of has some symbolism towards the Lord's Supper and what the blood symbolized there. So I love that. Then Moses climbed up the mountain, and the cloud covered it. And the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai, and the clouds covered it for six days. And on the seventh day, to the Lord called to Moses from inside the cloud. 
We are slide heavy today, so if you don't see me a whole lot and you see a lot of slides, that's why. To the Israelites at the foot of the mountain, the glory of the Lord appeared at the summit like a consuming fire, and Moses disappeared into the cloud as he climbed up higher and higher into the mountain. He remained on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. So when Moses was called up to the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, we think of that, and it's quite interesting because in that, he was actually up there on an absolute fast. What is an absolute fast? I know there's so many different types. So an absolute fast, also called sometimes the divine fast, but basically there is, there is no intake at all. So there's no food, there's no water. It's an absolute fast. Now, I certainly would not recommend that unless it is divinely requested of you because physically our bodies will start to break down. There is a process. And so unless you are divinely called from God, I do not recommend going down that, that road. Now, there is different sort of fasting schedules that you can do. And so fasting is something that is done regularly by God's people. Even in the present day, it's done regularly by God's people to hear from him and to surrender to him. And so um, if you're interested in that, definitely get with one of your pastors. Look up some, um, some prayer tips online. But there is, there is kind of a process. If you're going to do an extended, long-term fast from food, there's a process that you need to, go, to prepare yourself for that. So Moses does this extended 40 days and 40 nights in the presence of God, who sustained him through that, of course. And while he was in the presence of God, God gave him these blueprints for the tabernacle, the place that God would dwell with his people. And we see parallels here because there's also, in the, in the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 4, the 40 days and the 40 nights where Jesus spends in the desert, there is significance to this number in the way that um, this fast is honoring to God. So I just pull up a picture here of what the tabernacle may have looked like based on, based on the blueprints God gives us. And we learn a few things here through the story of the tabernacle. First, God wants to be with his people. He wants to be with his people. However, we saw this back at the bottom of the mountain when the people said that where the people were afraid and they rejected God, right? They were so afraid that they did not want to commune directly with God. They're like, no, this is too scary. Moses, you need to be, an, you need to be our intercessor, right? But little did they know, little did they understand that in that moment when they rejected that face-to-face -face commune with God personally and requested the intercessor, it would set this precedent for generations to come. And that precedent would only be broken when Jesus later came on and restored that personal relationship one-on-one -on -one without the need for an intercessor. So I love that part. All right. So there is a lot of details that go into the blueprints for the tabernacle. And I started bullet pointing these a little bit so that we're not here till next week. So in Exodus 25, 1 through 9, I'm going to read a little bit of that to you. There's a picture here of the people bringing their offerings. And God spoke to Moses, and he said, Accept offerings and contributions from those whose hearts are moved to offer them. I love that part. From those who are moved to offer them. 
Here is a list of sacred offerings that you may accept from them. And here's where my geekiness goes a little bit because there's symbolism with each one of these things, but we're not diving into it today. So bear with me. So um, you, you are to accept gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine linen, goat hair for cloth, tanned skins and fine goat leather, a case you would, okay, I have to stop for one second because my husband is an inspector and he'll love this part. So a case you would, this is from a tree where the wood, it's similar to oak, only it's so dense and so strong that it is resistant to insect infestation. So wood-destroying insects won't be touched by it. So God picked out this special wood that's only grown in certain areas called acacia wood for this tabernacle. Olive oil for the lamps, spices for anointing oil and fragrant incenses, onyx stones and other gemstones that will be used in the ephod and the priest centerpiece. And have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so that I can dwell among them. He wants to be with his people. Have the people make an ark of acacia wood, a sacred chest. It'll be 45 inches long, 27 inches wide, and 27 inches high. Overlay the inside and the outside with pure gold and run a molding of gold around it. They actually used a measurement called a cubit, which is another one of my geek moments, but a cubit is approximately from here to here. So I can imagine them going around like actually measuring things with their arm, right? Like if you've ever wrapped a cord around it, this is your cubit. That's how God actually gave them the instructions using the cubit. So just kind of cool. Cast four gold rings and attach them to its four feet, two rings on each side, and make the poles from a case you would and overlay them with gold. Insert the poles into the rings on the side of the ark and carry it. Most people believe it's supposed to be permanently attached. So here we see a picture of kind of like what that would look like. And if you want to see more details, that portion of the ark is actually found in Exodus chapter 25, verses 10 through 14. So you can dive in more there if you'd like to actually spend some time looking at that portion. The next picture, we're going to move a little fast now, is the bread table. And there's a picture there, and that's found in Exodus 25, 23 through 20, 29. And each one of these items that we're going to see have some sort of symbolism, some way that they're going to be used in the tabernacle for God's presence. In Exodus 25, 31 through 40, we see the lampstand. And we're going to talk a little bit about that coming up when we talk about the oil. And then the curtains and the altar. So curtains are in Exodus 26, 1 through 37, and Exodus 27, 1 through 7. Now, so the curtains that you see in this picture are specifically around that inner portion uh, of the sanctuary where God would actually meet with Moses um, to talk about the people. And the altar is where they would prepare the sacrifices that the people give. So talking about sacrifices, we'll pull up this next part here. Offerings and sacrifices. Offerings were a sacrifice of one's livelihood. Right? You may think it's weird. Like, why are they, you know, butchering these animals and giving them? Obviously, in our culture, a butcher does the job. We still eat it. But in this day, 
They were giving of their livelihood because the Israelites, they made their living through farming and through cattle and through different trades like that. And so these trades that they had, obviously God is well aware of them, um, were used as sacrifices, a giving up of their livelihood to God. It was a sacrifice that they gave of their animals and their flour, etc. So in our current day, we tend to um, give up our livelihood also, but in a little bit different way. Generally, we give through currency, tithing, that sort of thing. Um, but a portion of the offering, God declares through this portion of Exodus, a portion of these offerings are to be set aside for the priests, the priests that serve him, the priests that take the offerings, and, and the priests that serve in the temple. Um, these offerings, a portion of it is for them as a way to provide a way of provision for them and their families. And much is the same way about tithes in the church today. They help feed the families of the pastors. So, all right, verse 20, command the people of Israel to bring your pure oil of pressed olives for the light, to keep the lamps burning continuously. Aaron and his sons must keep the lamps burning in the Lord's presence all through the night. So, there was kind of like a sundown to sun up thing, right? And I find this interesting because God himself is light. So even if it was dark here on earth, dark because it was night, there would still be light because he is light. But the reason that this is here is because it's a way to honor God. Because there is no darkness where God is. And so he asks them to keep those, those, that candle lit with the oil all through the night as a way to show honor and respect to God, illuminating the darkness. And we move on to Exodus 29, the ordination of the priests. And there's a picture here, kind of a multifaceted picture um, showing what the garments may have looked like based on the description. I love the, the bottom one there, um, the white picture. You can't, I don't know if you can see it very well, but there's actually bells around the bottom of Aaron. And I laughed this week thinking of the bell that's on, you know, the cat collars. But anyway, um, <laughs> this was kind of what they would look like. Aaron's was a little bit more ornate, complete. Um, compared to, you know, the sons, but he was the high priest, of course. And then the picture of Moses anointing um, Aaron with the anointing oil. See, this was a process. There was offerings given. Aaron and her sons had to, like, wash and clean. I mean, um, a lot of us do it daily now, but it wasn't quite as common then to do that. Sacrifices were made. Detailed robes were made. And this ordination ceremony with Aaron and his sons was a ceremony to symbolize the significance of the duties given to them. This was a very important job that God was giving them on behalf of the people. So we move on. God wants to be among his people. In verse 44, we read, Yes, I will consecrate the tabernacle and the altar, and I will consecrate Aaron and his sons to serve me as priests. Then I will live among the people of Israel and be their God. And they will know that I am the Lord their God. I am the one who brought them out of the land of Egypt so that I could live among them. I am the Lord their God. 
And I find this so significant because not only did he bring them out of the land of Egypt, not only did, they, did he take them away from a place physically and remove them, but he, remember we're also in a process where God is removing culture, removing bad habits. Because when the nation of Israel was in Egypt, all they had known was the culture there in Egypt. All they had known was pagan worship and idolatry and sin and all of this. It, it was such, it, so ingrained into who they were that it, this process of becoming takes a while, right? So God continuously says, I'm the one that took you out of Egypt, reminding them of where they came from, but also reminding them that they were in the process of being reshaped and reformed into his image. They were becoming God's people. God anoints special gifts for the accomplishment of his tasks. So then the Lord said to Moses, Look, I have specifically chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, grandson of Hur, from the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with the Spirit of God, giving him great wisdom, ability, and expertise in all kinds of crafts. He's a master craftsman, expert in working with gold, silver, bronze. He is skilled in engraving and mounting gemstones in carving wood. He is a master at every craft. And I have personally appointed Aholiab, son of a Shemek, of the tribe of Dan, and his assistant, to be his assistant, moreover. I have given special gifts so that they all, oh, to all the gifted craftsmen so that they can make all of the things that I have commanded you to make. So God not only gives them these detailed blueprints of this tabernacle, this place of dwelling that he wants to be in the midst of his people, but he also gives out creative and special spirit-filled gifts to these master craftsmen so that they can accomplish this task. See, God is still in the process of this today. In present day, he's still. If he calls us to something, he, and he anoints us with the gifting to do it. He teaches our hands. He molds our minds. He gives us the ability to follow what he has called us to do. And that was the case here. Closing out of chapter 31 is with the Sabbath, which is a covenant. And a covenant is just a special word. It means um, pledge or agreement. It's something sacred. With the people of Israel must keep the Sabbath day by observing it from generation to generation. This is a covenant obligation for all time. So Sabbath is a covenant or a pledge. It is to be a day of rest for the people, but it is also a day to remember the God who dwells with us. And I think that is so significant. Sometimes we have trouble slowing down, and that's, that's what the Sabbath is about. It is a day for us to slow down, for us to take a moment to rest our bodies, but also to reconnect with that God who dwells with us. He doesn't just leave here leave us here and abandon. He dwells with us. He wants to be among us. And both of these things are essential for Sabbath. What can we learn about the character of God and how his people are becoming? Right? So Yahweh is a God who wants to dwell among his people and commune with them. 
See, from the beginning when he pulled them out of Egypt, he started out as a God who was talking to them. And it was only the rejection of the people that broke that. God wants to dwell and commune with his people. The tabernacle signifies that God has come to dwell, to tabernacle, the meaning of the word, in the midst of his people, as he will one day come in the incarnation, which we find in John 1.14 with Jesus' birth, and will come in the second advent, which is Revelation 2.13. The Lord who dwelt in his visible glory in his sanctuary among his people in Exodus will one day come and dwell with in his glory among his saints forever. I'm pausing there for just a second. I'm going to repeat it because I want it to sink in. I want it to sink in. The Lord who dwelt in his visible glory in his sanctuary among his people in Exodus will one day come and dwell in all of his glory with his saints forever. This is a promise. But he doesn't just leave it at that, does he? Because he also, when Jesus rose from the grave and he ascended into heaven, he sent his spirit who lives with us and inside of us. He didn't leave us in abandon. He dwells with us always. So I'm going to read the, the reflection for a moment. Where have you seen God among you? Where have you seen his face? Not just what he does, but have you seen it in the light in someone else's face? Have you seen the Christ-likeness in them? Have you seen that light? Where have you seen God among you? Where can you see his gifts in yourself and in others? See, those special gifts that he gave to Bezalel and Aholiab, he didn't just give to them, did he? He gave them to all of us. Where can you see those special gifts in yourself and in others in the body of Christ? How have you honored God through your offerings? Time, talent, treasure. How have you honored him through that? How might he be challenging you to do that? And of course, in every section that we have looked at in Exodus, he reminds us to honor the Sabbath. It's that important. And I don't know if you've been with us every single week of this series, but if you look back in every single week, God points out and he stops and he says, remember the Sabbath, honor my Sabbath. Every single time, it just stops. And so it just shows you how important that is for God and for us. He made it for us, not like God needs to rest. But no, it was something he created for us as a gift of love for us, for his people. So earlier I was, I was prompted, I know, diving through seven chapters of the Bible and plowing through slide after slide feels like, let's go, let's move, let's get this done, right? And so I felt like we could use some time to maybe process. Like through these seven chapters, there's so much there, but what is God specifically saying to each one of us? See, oftentimes I feel like we come to um, our prayer time with God and spending time with God, and we so often have an agenda. We so often look at Scripture as a means to fill what we're looking for. 
But how often do we go to Scripture just for the sake of Scripture to sit with God and to learn from Him without filling our agenda? Right? So often we go to Scripture and we look for um, portions of Scripture that talk about love or talk about being kind to your neighbor because we have an agenda. But we can be guilty of using Scripture for that agenda. Sometimes God just wants to sit with us. As clearly as we see here, God wants to be among us. And so um, even for, for those that are on Facebook, I'm going to tell you what I'd like you to do, um, and I'm going to have you go do it on your own um, so that we don't have copyright issues. Um, but for anyone who is in the Zoom meeting, we're going to go ahead and do that together. But what we're going to do is we're going to play this song that talks about surrendering our agenda And I want you to just take a few moments and listen. Is there something in this text with God's sanctuary and dwelling among us and Sabbath and 40-day fast? Like, so much is here. Is there something that God wants to specifically talk to you about? And so as you listen to the song, I would like you to, to just be open to what God might say without bringing your agenda, but just being open to his. So, for those of you on Facebook, um, go ahead and look up a song. It's called Nothing Else. It's by Cody Carnes. And you can just kind of Google that and listen to the song and just listen for what God has to say this morning. For those of you on Zoom, go ahead and stick around and we'll do that together. So, Facebook, we love you. We'll see you all next time. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and believe others could benefit from hearing about us, Please remember to share and subscribe to Unison Christian Church wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also catch us live at unisongr.com or on Facebook. See you next week.